Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Love the 80s? Then you'll love Virgin Radio 80s Plus. Chris Evans. Love the 80s. Over on Virgin Radio. 80s Plus. It's freezing cold outside, but that doesn't matter because we're in here. And from in here, it looks beautiful. And it's about to get more beautiful on the radio. Vassos, over to you. Our next guest is the psychology professor, podcaster, best-selling author and TED talker who is officially in the world's top 10 (laughs) most influential management thinkers. His latest book, Hidden Potential, is out now. So please welcome a man who can't but enchant. It's Adam Grant. Hi, Adam. So thrilled to be here. This is the this is British enthusiasm like I've never seen it before. Oh, come on. It's what we do. It's how we live. It's how we breathe. Uh, we are part of your tribe and you're definitely part of our tribe. Um, so you're in the top 10. You made it to the top 10 influential thinkers. That's amazing. On the planet. Um, any imposter syndrome there, as mentioned in your new book, Hidden Potential? Oh, definitely. It's a lot of pressure now. Yeah. Um, so imposter syndrome can be a tell for hidden potential. Surprisingly. Yeah, I think I had no idea that this was true, but it turns out that when you feel like an imposter and you think other people are overestimating you, you might actually be underestimating yourself because they have seen your hidden potential. They've seen a capacity for growth that you're not aware of yet. So what do we do about that if we are the victim of our own uh, take on imposter syndrome? Well, I think if multiple people believe in you, it's probably time to believe them. To become part of your fa- own fan club, I suppose. Uh, did, you, did you, Did you? well, no, you did have imposter syndrome. I know all about the first lecture to the American generals. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I didn't find it funny, but I'm glad you were you entertained. You find it funny now. Yeah, it's hilarious now. Um, it's painful then. Can you tell that story in 30 seconds or not? Yeah, I think I can. I basically had to teach leadership and motivation to these senior military leaders, and I was 25 years old, and they were a bunch of sort of top gun characters and their feedback afterward was brutal uh one of them wrote i gained nothing from the session but i trust the instructor got useful insight ouch and so what did you do next well i i wanted to quit but i had already committed to do a second session and so the only thing i could do was change my introduction so i went in uh instead of selling my credentials and talking about my expertise and trying to prop myself up i said hey i know what you're all thinking right now what could i possibly learn from a professor who's 12 years old And they burst out laughing and it it really broke the ice. And I got much better feedback afterward. And I learned that showing a little more vulnerability was a a helpful way to connect with my audience. And did somebody shout from the audience, no, come on, you look at least 13. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was actually the moment that (laughs) I think made me feel like it was going to be okay. How old are you now? I am 42. 40? 42. 42. All right. So you're, you're what? Uh, you're, you're 17 years on from that. Um, you've learned so much. Um, you are you are so useful to us now. One of the best things we can all do to, to, to feel better about ourselves every day is to be useful, isn't it? That's right up there. Um, you talk about, in Hidden Potential, your new book, you talk about character. 
You say it's the single most important thing. Speak to that if you don't mind a bit more. Yeah, I, I actually didn't go in looking for character, uh, but it showed up in the data over and over again. It turns out that uh, kindergarten is where most of us think we learn character skills, yeah. discipline, determination, uh, being proactive in seeking new knowledge, pro-social and sharing your knowledge with others. And if you are taught those skills in kindergarten, you actually end up being more likely to graduate from college and also being more successful in your career. All right. So speaking to character, let's talk about Wabi Sabi. So that gets a mention. Thank God. I love Wabi Sabi. I've got the book Wabi Sabi. I don't know if you have the book. Uh, so how does Wabi Sabi speak to half of half a character and half of something else? Okay. So Wabi Sabi is the Japanese art of uh, finding the beauty in imperfection, which sounds like an oxymoron to me as a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> but I think that the power of it is to say that it's really hard to ever improve yeah. if you're trying to never be flawed. Uh -huh. And so you need to figure out what mistakes are acceptable to make so that you can keep taking risks and growing. Right. So the Wabasabi is also a combination of character and discipline, isn't it? And we've been talking this week about, and last week, about um, discipline doesn't come from stability, but stability can come from discipline. And it's really handy and it's really helpful. You talk about there about kindergarten and about character in kindergarten and, and developing that. And then you also give a massive, you know, multi-page shout out to Finland. How do you get to Finland in the book? Well, I wanted to write about how teachers and schools could bring out the hidden potential in students. And Finland, as a lot of people know, has uh, surprised in the PISA scores. Uh, students outperform well, year after PISA year. What's so people, PISA for people uh, who don't So know. it's the international standardized test of 15-year-olds to try to figure out who's the best at... Educators. Yeah, exactly, at STEM, um, at reading. And uh, Finland was not expected to dominate, and they, they won three years in a row. Uh, they've had some challenges uh, in the last few years. But I wanted to know, what are they doing that's supported by evidence that we might want to think about in UK and US schools? And so what did you find? Well, one of the interesting things they do is they actually keep students with the same teacher for multiple years. And a lot of parents, uh, they, don't, they don't get it at first. And they say, well, you know, what if, what if my kid has Professor Snape? <laughs> I don't yeah. want that teacher for a second yeah. year. But Finland has highly professionalized teaching. So they, they want every kid to have a great teacher. And what they find is that if teachers get to spend multiple years with their students, they actually can become specialists in, in their kids, yeah. not just in their subjects. And then instead of just being instructors, they become coaches and mentors and they do much more personalized education. What's really interesting about the reaction, not the response from the parents, is they immediately default to what if they get a bad teacher? Yeah, but what if they get loads of great teachers as well? Exactly. And there have been some very good randomized controlled experiments in multiple states in the US and also in Chile, showing that if you have the same teacher for multiple years, that you actually grow more. And that's especially true if you were a poor student or if you had a poor teacher. Right. It's all about growth, isn't it? It's, you, you talk about growth a lot in the book. I, uh, I think there's there's probably no higher human value than trying to get better today than you were yesterday. It's so interesting. We were talking about it before, weren't we? Off the air, we were talking about, you know, in golf, they always teach you to follow through, you know, get through the ball, don't hit the ball. Because if you hit the ball like you hit a, a nail with a hammer, you'll just stop after you've hit it and you've got to get through it. And it's like, like a day like today, we're very fortunate. You know, we've got a great show. Um, you know, we're literally at the top of the town, at the top of our game. But we need to follow through. We need to create goals, don't we? Um, and it's, it's, you know... You know, by the way, I'm so grateful for, for what we get to do every day. But it is more difficult when there is um, uh, apparently nowhere else to go. What do we do? How do we follow through? Where do we go to next? Well, I, I, I'm not qualified to answer that question. <laughs> but I think the, the way that I would start is yeah. to say uh, you probably hear a lot from cheerleaders and critics. 
you've got cheerleaders who are basically applauding your your best moments yeah. and critics who are attacking your worst moments. Yeah. And I think what we really need are coaches, yeah. people who see our hidden potential and and try to really help us become better versions of ourselves. Yeah. And so I guess I would ask the question, who are your best coaches? And then can you ask them for one thing you can do better each show? Mm -hmm. And also, you don't have to know the people to have them on your board of personal directors. Not at all. Uh, sometimes your best role models and advisors are people you observe from a distance. Which is why I listen to everything you do everywhere you do it and that's, i read all your books that's a huge honor no but i really do and i love it the other thing that uh, finland were getting right was that the 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 other um end of the mental shelf as far as the bookends are concerned which was kindergarten so they were they were having uh, out, one hour lessons but with a 15 minute recess at the end of every single lesson because kids should be playing first and foremost and even if they're learning a bit they still have to play a lot yeah, it turns out that if you want to uh, actually, if you want to look at at who the best students are going to be here in the UK at age sixteen, they're the ones who enjoyed school most at age six. If you teach kids that learning is fun, they become more intrinsically motivated and engaged. And didn't you say to one of your recent guests, the lady neuroscientist we were talking about the other day on the show, didn't didn't you discuss you, you and she discussed the fact that uh, people who so so the the number one trait we have found of successful people whatever that means is that they get up early and she says the 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 number one tell for future success is if your kids read they have a massively more chance of succeeding than if they or becoming you know useful in society learning to love reading is part of learning to love learning right. and i think every parent has a responsibility and an opportunity not just to fill their house with books yeah but to actually something i learned was one day one of our daughters said to me uh dad why don't you ever read and i i literally have more books than probably all other possessions combined I'm like why don't you why do you think i don't read turns out i did all my reading when our kids were asleep yeah and so I change that habit so they actually get to see me reading yeah. and then pick it up. And also, you know, it's about offering different books up, different flavors. It's not that our kids might not like reading. It's just that they might not like the title or the cover of the book that we're suggesting they read. So um, enter Harry Potter or David Williams or other books like that. Yeah, I, I heard from a teacher recently who actually would hide books in different places in her classroom. And then when kids found them, they were able to to share them with the rest of the class. And it became kind of a an exciting way to discover a new story. Talking of stories, um, one of the best ways to get anything across is a story, especially mixed with humor or insight or, you know, um, uh, instruction. You have some unsung heroes in the book. They're, not, they're now um, being sung from the highest heights via the page of your book and also their ultimate achievements from their hidden potential. Um, a couple of superstars in there. The guy who wanted to be an astronaut, I mean, th that story is formidable. It's a f give, give us the, the headlines and the highlights of that story. Where this guy came from, all his false starts, all his disappointments, and how he never st stopped trying. Uh, in the end, he did actually wipe the weight flag, but then even his wife stepped in and said, no, 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 you can't give up. And he started by watching YouTube. Jose Hernandez, it's one of the most extraordinary stories I've ever come across. Uh, so he's, he's a, he grows up in a, a migrant farm family. Uh, so he's an illegal immigrant from Mexico to the United States. Uh, he really struggles early on in school because he doesn't even speak English yeah. when he arrives. And he wants to go, he wants to go to space uh, from the day he sees a moon landing. Uh, but, you know, his grades are terrible. Uh, his, you know, his parents can't really help him. Uh, eventually he ends up going to college and nearly flunking out. 
Uh, he gets an engineering degree. He starts sending out applications to NASA and gets rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. Why wouldn't he, of course? I mean, six six times in a row. And finally, he, he crumbles up the paper and throws it at the garbage. And his wife has to pick it up and say, you cannot give up because I don't want to be married to a, a grumpy 70-year-old who regrets not following his dream. Yeah, yeah. But, and the, his initial goal of wanting to be an astronaut got him so far down the line that if he looked back, and I, I suppose in the end he did start to look back, he'd achieved so much any, any way via his goal that that was enough. But his wife said, no, no, this is not enough. So he was 36, 37, and he was still almost a decade away from going to space, and he'd given up at the age of 36, 37. But it didn't mean his dream didn't come true. No, and I think one of the things I learned from Jose is the, the man is a human sponge. So what, what does he do first when he gets rejected from NASA? He sends a request for information about how he can improve his application next time. And then when he fails, he goes and studies astronauts to see what they have that he doesn't. And he learns he's got to become a scuba diver. He needs to get a pilot's license. And then eventually he needs something that's going to help him get to the space station. <laughs> so he goes mad. to Siberia and learns Russian so that he can interact with cosmonauts. And finally, he stands out. Mid-30s. You know, he then he's done so much. He's come so far from less, almost less than nothing. So he starts to learn to fly because he's heard that might help. And then he scuba dives because that might help. And then he speaks Russian because that might help. And in the end, he he goes to space. He he flies five million miles. Is that right? Like that. Yeah. Wow. And and yet the distance he traveled from, you know, migrant farm worker to astronaut was much greater than he ever went in space. And. I think what, one of the other things that, that Jose's story really highlighted for me is I think we, we judge people's hidden potential in the wrong way. Yeah. So NASA was trying to predict who was, who was the candidate with the right stuff. And they were looking for the, the smartest engineers, the, the best pilots. What they should have been looking at was the trajectory of progress yeah. and the obstacles that a candidate overcame, not just the peak they had reached. And you have that lovely cartoon in your book, don't you, of what colleges look for, what universities look for, what NASA used to look for. But they've changed their selection process now, you know, not least of all because of Xavier's um, uh, progress. And you have these stars climbing up mountains, don't you? Literally rising stars. And that's what we should be looking for. It's, it's amazing how many times we miss that, though, because it's, it's so easy to be impressed by somebody who's already made it, uh, who's achieved the performance yeah, you're looking yeah. for. But that means you're overlooking a lot of late bloomers. Love music? Love interviews with lovely musicians? Search Virgin Radio UK on YouTube to find brilliant album specials with some of the shiniest lights on our playlist, including George Ezra. This is going to be something I'll remember. And that's a really lovely thing. I don't think I was able to do that in the past. And James Bay. Come on, lady. Don't you agree that everybody needs someone when they feel alone? Watch all that and more at youtube.com slash UK. The book is brilliant. We're talking to Adam Grant about another brilliant book that he's written. He's written... So, how many books have you written now? Six. Six, okay. Um, the last one, which seemed like a, about a minute ago, I thought you were on coming on to talk about clear thinking again, but you've written another book, like I don't know when, on the plane or something. Uh, but it's a brilliant book, Hidden Potential. The, the story that made my hair stand on end last night, while I was listening to Johann Sebastian Bach, bizarrely, was the story about the musician, the UK musician, the lady who is deaf, who so wanted to, to play, you know, at, at such a professional level. She learnt, started to learn music 
by the vibrations of the sounds from the speakers on a hi-fi through the walls of her parents' house. This story is unbelievable. If you if you want to do something and you think you don't have what it takes to, to do, you have to read this bit of the book. Tell us a bit more about her story. Uh, Evelyn Glen- Glennie is one of the most impressive people I've ever met. I you know, she she's profoundly deaf and she started losing her hearing when she was young, uh, but she didn't want to give up on her passion for music. And she sat down with her music teacher and learned that when she, she put her body against the wall, she could feel different notes in different parts of her body. Uh, so, you know, in her, her feet, it might be lower notes um, in her, you know, in her temple, it might be a higher note. And then they, they basically turn the learning process into a game. Uh, and so there's a challenge. Okay, what note is this? And you get to finer and finer distinctions between notes. And now she's, um, I think, the world's uh, first and also best solo percussionist. That is an incredible story, isn't it? I mean, out of all the stories you've heard, that must be right up there. I, I don't think I've ever been more inspired by a human being. What about the javelin throw that kept falling flat on his face and thought, hang on a minute, there's something in this? <laughs> Julius Diego. Okay, so Julius grows up in Kenya, yeah. uh, fails at, uh, at football, fails at running, uh, but really wants to be an athlete, and eventually picks up the javelin. But he doesn't have a coach, doesn't have the right equipment, uh, so he's got to do something to get better. And one day he gets to an internet cafe and starts watching YouTube videos of javelin f- throwers and... He teaches himself based on what he sees. YouTube again. I mean, unreal. And um, he goes on to become an Olympic silver medalist. Wow. And and the guy, there, there literally was a David and Goliath situation. T- tell us about the switcheroo there, what happened. Yeah, so he, he's got a, a major competitor early on who's uh, quite a bit taller and stronger than him. And the guy, you know, he, he looks like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and he's far better than Julius. But what happens is over time, he ends up stagnating because he's only reacting to the input that he gets from his coaches, whereas Julius is really proactive and he's constantly searching out new ways to improve his skills. And you have that lovely graphic in your book of the gold, um, silver and bronze podium where you have the winners of each category on there. But then you, you, you've you created what, if you could see below the surface, if if, if that those three podium places were the top of a pyramid what would the rest of the pyramid look like and the journey to get to those places yeah i think this is this is one of the the really unfortunate things about the way we look at role models is we only see them at their peak and they seem out of reach uh, i remember i remember watching martin luther king jr's i have a dream speech when i started doing public speaking and i watched that and said it doesn't matter how much i practice i will never be anywhere near that good so i might as well quit but what I didn't see was the 20 years of practice that MLK had put in before that. Uh, I didn't get to see him start doing public speaking competitions when he was 15 years old. And I think what we need to do is we need to take the people we admire and rewind to the point where they started. Yeah. And that makes them much more relatable. It makes much, them much more relatable. But that is sort of the antithesis of, of another one of your friends, Morris, because he's this chess grandmaster. And he teach he taught these, what the rooks? What are they called? The, the, the raging t- rooks. The raging rooks who are from where? They're from Harlem. And they shouldn't be any good at chess because of their socio- sociological con- conditions, socioeconomic conditions. Um, and various different cultures and he because they don't want to play chess anyway so he engages them by showing them the end of the game first and look this is how this is how it looks like when you win uh how do we get here well let's go backwards which is not dissimilar to what you're saying i suppose just just now it's no it's it's actually a fascinating observation so i i think maurice ashley is one of the the greatest coaches i've ever met 
and he's a chess grandmaster, but he wasn't when he he took over this this coaching role. He's he fascinating. Was, he was it? in his twenties, and he takes a group of students who are extremely disadvantaged. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have never played chess before yeah. uh, as sixth and seventh graders. Uh, one of them learned chess in a park from a drug dealer. And they're competing against these elite private schools that have basically built the chess equivalent of an Olympic training center. And Maurice says, I've got to do something to get these these kids excited about the game. And if you start with the beginning moves, like, okay, you move the king's pawn forward two squares, they're going to be really bored and confused. Yeah. So instead, I'll just put a few pieces on the board, and I'm going to show them how to do a checkmate. And they're going to get the thrill of victory and also the frustration of defeat. And then they're going to be fired up to work backward and yeah. figure out, how do I get How'd to the you get game? here? And he's written a book called Move to Move. I haven't read it. Have you read it? Yeah. It's great. Oh, he's brilliant. He, um, he teaches you how to think like a chess player. Yeah. And apply it to life. Exactly. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, so you just uh, touched upon public speaking there. I've got to ask you about Jennifer Garner. So the, the whole Jennifer Garner thing, uh, it came to light because you both publicly speak together in a conversational interview situation where she's interviewing you about your book. But the way you got her to do that is because previously she'd reached out to you to ask you for tips on presenting a TED talk which she still hasn't done by the way ha- however it's it's all it's all good uh, in the wash it all comes out in the wash what happened there uh, well this this is ironic because I'm an introvert and I was extremely shy and afraid of public speaking when I started <laughs> so the idea that Jennifer Garner is going to ask me for advice on a TED talk uh, I mean talk about imposter syndrome like, I never thought that would happen but uh, I was supposed to I was supposed to do a, a book event with uh, with Rain Wilson from the American version of the office and he came down with covid and the morning of the event, I had no host. And I just, I sent a Hail Mary. I, I, I emailed Jen and said, hey, I've got this event tonight. Any chance you're in town and bored? And within an hour, she said, I got you. And she showed up. She read a big chunk of the book, literally in the car on the way over. And I had no idea what was going to happen in this event. And it was one of the most delightful and surprising conversations I've ever it had. Was, it's so good, isn't it? Because I've, I, you know, I, I listen to everything you do and Malcolm Gladwell and all those other people, all, all your, your pals. Um, and the, when you do a podcast that's live, they're okay. Um, but of course, because they're also being hosted and performed, there is a performative aspect to them because there's an audience. As a listener, as a selfish podcast listener, sometimes I don't get some of my juice because you're sort of splitting your, your loyalty, if you, if you like. But her hosting you, because it was a surprise and you get extra heat from that situation. Um, but she, she showed her hidden potential as, a, as, a, as an interviewer. I mean, she's just a, a, an incredible improv comedian, which I had no idea. And, you know, I, I just thought we were doing a live event for the audience, yeah, yeah. to your point. And every single email I got afterwards said, you've got to run this on your Rethinking podcast yeah, so yeah. that other people can hear oh, it. I didn't know that. I didn't, so it wasn't initially going to be a Rethinking. It wasn't planned at all. Okay, just speak to Rethinking briefly, because you're on to talk about Hidden Potential. Adam Grant, number one New York Times bestselling author of Think Again. Brand new book. It is gold. Every single line, every paragraph, every page is... He only does, deals in gold, this guy. I can say that about him. He doesn't have to say that. It doesn't matter. Um, just speak to, about your podcast, Rethinking, so to give it a little ad, because I want people to get involved with that as well. Sure. So as a psychologist, uh, one of my passions is questioning assumptions. Yes. And I thought one of the, the most interesting ways for me to keep learning would be to host a show where I bring people on who think differently from yes. me. Because I believe that great minds don't think alike. They challenge each other to think again. Mm-hmm. And so rethinking is all about bringing on people who are going to change the way I think about how I, I work, lead, live. 
And you have a quick fire section in each podcast. They're they're very listenable because I wish they were longer, but lots of people like them things shorter. Um, what's what's the your favourite? question that you've asked and been asked in your quickfire round Ooh, my favorite question that i ask is what's the worst advice you've ever gotten right uh because i think it, it debunks a lot of uh, a lot of common myths yep uh probably my favorite question i've been asked is uh what's I, I, this one actually really caught me off guard uh the question was uh what's what's something that you think you're wrong about right now right um my favorite quote about being wrong i heard the other day and um, I, I say it's my favorite. You know, I'm like Vassos, yeah. uh, dog with a new bone. My the last quote is usually my favorite quote. Was um, when people tell you you're wrong, they're usually right, but when they tell you how to fix it, they're usually wrong. Oh, that's so well put. <laughs> Do you like that? Yes, because <laughs> they they have some distance, yes. and they can see the problems that are invisible to you. Yeah. But that same distance means they're not qualified to figure yeah. out the, what the solution is. So listen to the criticism, but don't listen to the suggestion of the, the solution. Maybe, or maybe listen to it, but not not consider as, it. Yeah, consider test it. it. Um, you talk about scaffolding, uh, which is really important, really useful. We talk about strength and conditioning because we're both runners and um, we talk about strength and conditioning as well as getting in the miles for the marathon because the strength and conditioning is the scaffolding around your legs that help them to do what you want them to do and they just sort of underpin all the training scaffolding is not dissimilar in learning in a hidden, hidden potential especially when it comes to kids but not exclusively with kids we've got a minute left can you give us a minute on scaffolding please i can try uh, I think most people believe they need one permanent mentor or coach to get better, and ongoing help is going is to be what helps them grow. Uh, that is not the case. It turns out what we need is temporary support. And what scaffolding typically does for us is it's a temporary structure that allows us to build a skill we don't have, and then the support structure gets removed and we can guide our own learning. Right. Beautiful. That was less than a minute, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, it's so good. It's all in, it, in here. Um, what about... When you're talking to Maurice uh, on your podcast, he said a lot of people, the biggest risk in life is they don't take enough risks. For people who who are averse to risk taking and are suffering therefore from it and know that and, and uh, are, are, are suffering um, uh, chronic um, low-fi uh, mood because of it, can, can you... Can you Back to your other thing, your springboarding, because you used to be a diver, didn't you? Can you springboard them into action? Okay. Well, let's, let's see. What psychologists find is that in the long run, our biggest regrets are not our failures. They're our failures to try. Wow. Okay. And how can you get unstuck from not wanting to start? I think the, the thing I learned actually in diving was I, I felt like I needed to build my confidence in order to take the leap to try a new dive. And I had that backward. You build your confidence by taking the leap. Right, okay. Um, and speaking of getting stuck, uh, what about procrastination? You say that procrastination isn't a fear of starting. It's the fear of how doing what you want to do but are fearful of doing will make you feel. It's, an un it's a discomfort. Yeah, this is the work of Fuchsia Sirwa here in the UK. And what she shows is that often we're not avoiding hard work or effort. We're avoiding negative feelings that a task stirs up, which might be anxiety. Um, can I do this? Yes. It might be boredom. <laughs> this is really repetitive. Uh, it might be frustration or confusion. I'm not sure where to go next. You're an organizational psychologist. I, some of the biggest, most successful names in the world uh, know you and draw from your wisdom. Serena Williams, for example, brilliant, will shatter your assumptions, she says on the front cover of your new book. Um, at the age of 42, 
how far in the future do you think about organising your own life? What can you give us before you go to help us with our future years? Well, I, I like to think in, in hours and days and decades. Right. And I think what a lot of us do when we're trying to make plans is we go to other people for advice. And we forget that nobody really knows what's best for us. So my favorite suggestion when you're, when you're thinking about your future is to find somebody else who's struggling with where they want to go next. Give them some advice and then listen to your own suggestions because the advice you give to others is usually what you need to take for yourself. And you're giving it to them because you don't want to confront yourself with that advice. That It's amazing how often that happens. What about this one? Um, people underestimate what they can do in a year, but they overestimate what they can do in a day. What do you think about that? I uh, I think that's true. Uh, in psychology, it's called the planning fallacy. Tell us about. Uh, so about the it. what what the research on this suggests is that uh, we forget how many different things need to be done in order to accomplish a task. And so, you know, if you ask people how much they'll produce today, uh, they might skip half of what what needs to happen, and then it's a week's worth of work. Uh, but in the long run, we don't we don't appreciate accumulation. Uh, and so if you do the addition of, you know, thousands of days of effort, this is something you guys appreciate as runners. Um, we, we have a hard time visualizing how all those elements will ultimately come together. Yeah. What we all say about marathon uh, training is, is on the day of the marathon, um, the, the, the hard work is to get to the start line and then you run 26.2 miles to collect your medal. It's just a celebration of your training. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know what you tell yourself though, during the, the three or so hours in between while you're running. But... Well, when you run the London a marathon for example or the New York marathon you don't tell yourself anything because two and a half million people cheering you on and you feel like Elliot Kipchoge regardless of your pace um, gosh uh, can you give us anything anything else give give the people listening any any other uh, golden nugget <laughs> well to go away with I think uh, one of the things that a lot of people have have been asking about is parenting yes. uh, as as a parent how do I nurture the hidden potential yes, in please, my child please please and I don't think I spend enough time on this in the book, but one of the things I've learned as a parent is sometimes you're the worst person to help your kids realize their potential. Mm -hmm. uh, I had this happen with one of our daughters recently. Uh, she was competing in a sport and I gave her a bunch of praise and she said, you have to say that you're my dad. Oh, ouchie. But yeah, yeah you, but you wanted to say that because you are her dad. Of course. But I realized at that point that the best thing I can do is find her a coach or a mentor who she sees as unbiased. Yeah. Somebody else was saying similar the other day. You know, when your kids get 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, pick a number, they've got you. They've learned everything they can from you. They love you. Hopefully they love you. They like you. They want to be with you sometimes, but not all the time. But you can't really teach them anything else because they are deaf to all that. You know, that's why the Charlie Brown... The grown-ups with children going wah, wah, wah. So you expose them to new grown-ups with new energy, with a new flavor that they might be able to see and hear. So important. And it, it's why I tell my mom frequently, whenever she gives me parenting advice, uh, my response is, <laughs> if you wanted me to learn this, you should have taught it to me 30 years ago. Oh, God. Adam, um, how are you enjoying your stay in, in uh, 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 tropical Britain? It's, it's been a blast. I didn't expect it to be so sunny here. Yeah, it's been a cold blast. When are you back to Los Angeles? Uh, heading back to the States tonight. All right, mate. Well, have a great safe trip. And thanks for dropping in on us. Such a joy. Thank it's good you. good to meet you in person. That is Adam Grant. He's uh, written another winner. It's called Adam Grant. Well, it's called Hidden Potential, The Science of Achieving Greater Things by the one, the only Adam Grant. It's available now. The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio.
Up and at him. Come on. Things to do. Don't cheer. You'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them. No stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose. Food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio.